0: Welcome, everyone, to the Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic community. My name is Matt, and joining me is the guy who gets my vote for going in the box. It's Pete. Goodbye, Pete.
1: Oh, I know what's up. The Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 108, Tsunami, is sponsored by Timely Coffee House Blend. The perfect mix of Arabica beans for your super public argument about your sister's suicide.
0: You know, Pete, it only occurred to me in watching this episode. The Timely Coffee House is named for Timely Comics, which then later rebranded as what?
1: Marvel Comics.
0: Yeah. And I felt like a dum-dum only figuring that out in this episode. <laughs> but glad to be here talking runaways, particularly it's this bright spot in Los Angeles. We just finished up. Our Punisher podcast where things got really dire and really grim, appropriately so there. But Pete, here we are kicking back with the cool kids in L.A.
1: Yeah, and a lot coming at you this week. We dropped a couple of uh, Christmas-related podcasts, uh, a couple commentaries for you to check out, one on the Star Wars holiday special, uh, timely, if you will, as well as A Christmas Story. So those to check out if you're still in the Christmas Mood. We got our Star Wars Last Jedi review out as well. And uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coming back, not this Friday, but the following Friday. So not much of a break, just the way we like it at Fantastic Geek.
0: Well, Pete, with that, can you give us the rundown on this episode of Runaways?
1: Lights flash and sirens blare as a barely breathing Victor Stein bleeds out. Robert Minoru arrives, and Chase prepares to assault him before Tina prevents it. At Timely Coffee, Nico continues to press Alex on how he cracked her mother's security password and why he did not attend Sister Amy's funeral. He replays her voicemail she left him the night she died. The Wilders arrive at the Stein home, having been summoned with a one-word text message. Jeffrey's going in strapped, however... Because the last time that happened, the Hernandez's were found in pieces, and he still doesn't trust Tina. Nico and Alex have a very loud argument, and he takes her through what he witnessed with Amy. That she had been hacked with a keystroke log that revealed everything she typed. But it wasn't an online creeper. It was Tina. Amy explained to wizard security guy Kincaid, it was she who hacked Tina. He told her she was going to turn herself in. Alex feels he could have done more and is scared. Nico would never forgive him, but it still doesn't add up. Her mom sealed the house. Wouldn't call nine one one detective Flores showed up. And then there's the missing diary. Alex hypothesizes Amy found something about pride. Amy's phone was never found nor her backpack. Running away sounds more like Amy than suicide. Tina explains to Chase why they can't call paramedics with Janet having used a gun registered to lover Robert. Janet takes Chase upstairs. The Yorks are detained in dropping Molly off at Graciela's before leaving urgently because of Janet's tsunami text. Janet decides it's the perfect time to play cool mom and pours her teenage son a scotch. Chase wonders (laughs) if his father's tumor has returned or if the Jonah juice caused this. The Yorks' work on Victor, leaving only Leslie missing as she's too close to Jonah. Chase calls Gert, who was in the basement with the dinosaur. He then calls Carolina and tells her what's happened. She then questions her mom about her father. Leslie then overhears her daughter's message to Nico about Chase's dad. Leslie quickly gets over to the Steins and says she's calling Frank. At Graciela's, Molly explains the sensation of eating gefilte fish. Graciela gives Molly a letter her parents left for her, which contains a key and a note to find Eliane, her elephant. Frank arrives and argues with Leslie, but she swears him to secrecy about her relationship with Jonah, which she promises to elucidate later. Gert brings the dinosaur upstairs and hears from Carolina. She explains about Molly being shipped off to a relative. Gert lays who likes whom on the table. Catherine wonders if Frank is back in, but he's unable to completely heal Victor, whose heart stops. Gert, Carolina, and the dinosaur sneak up on the Stein home before they see Jonah pull up, who reveals it was Tina who called him. He produces a box from his trunk and plans to revive Victor by sacrificing Janet. Gert picks the Stein's lock, and the dinosaur jumps over the roof. Molly reveals her... Elephant Elian isn't lost, but she did lose him once on a train. She sneaks out to go to the Metrolink station. Chase tries to get past Frank to see his father, but Carolina sends him upstairs. She confronts her father as the only one who is good. But uh, he wants her to tell him about pride. Gert and the dinosaur are in Chase's room the pride argues over who will be sacrificed jonah explains victor is the only one who needs to be kept alive as the dig is about to start and he threatens to kill their children as well robert asks for a moment alone with janet nico finds her sister's bag and phone which weren't very lost she charges the phone as janet asks to see chase a final time robert has the fistagon aimed at pride and is prepared to get in the box tina uses the staff to smoke the box alex is awaiting nico when the file finally finishes decrypting showing pride's first sacrifice jonah prevents leslie and tina from throwing down because she destroyed the box but jonah says he doesn't need any more sacrifices Robert apologizes to Tina in their native Japanese. Nico tells Alex about her discovery, and he explains about the video in which his parents seem conflicted. Jonah seals Victor in the remaining box to preserve him. Molly finds a strange object she's never seen before in a videotape in the Metro box chase and carolina don't want to expose their parents chase and alex fight and chase destroys the laptop amy's recharged phone reveals a he found out leave the house now text from an unknown sender we see her erasing her hard drive before an unseen figure catches her to end the episode
0: Pete, as we talk about villains here, I know we have some great evils perpetrated, some great lines crossed, some, some hearts broken, etc. But I want to start with the, the parenting villainy done by Janet. Her 17-year-old, 18, it doesn't matter if he's 17 or 18, her under 21-year-old son says essentially, yo ma, poor me some of that sweet, sweet alcohol too. And without batting an eyelash, she pours him the hard stuff. And Pete, I'm not saying even a little for a growing young fella is okay, but it's not like she says, here's a little splash, you know, on account of this, this tremendously awful day. She pours him more than she was drinking. And she's a wee thing parenting villain.
1: I had a problem with it, but it doesn't make her a villain. Um, Considering the strain of the situation, I get it. But at the same time, that's something I feel very passionately about. Underage kids should not be served by their parents, and that's hence the "cool mom" thing. Yeah, but Uh, how is she going to care?
0: How is he going to know that she's okay if she doesn't serve him alcohol? That's what I want to know.
1: Parents who care about what their kids care about them serve them alcohol and serve their friends alcohol. And then there's inevitably problems, and yeah, it never ever works out.
0: Well, Pete, let's talk about a different kind of leadership here. Uh, We have Jonah demanding body sacrifice from Pride, from someone connected to Pride. Uh, Your thoughts? Well,
1: I think whatever he's got over on them, he only needs Victor, as he says. Uh, we'll talk a little bit with the theories about you know the only box remaining now it seems, but if Victor's still alive, there's got to be a possibility of creating more. I'm sure, but yeah, uh, first it was going to be Janet, then he didn't really care who it was going to be, then it could have even been Chase, and the threat I think of their children is is where it really jumped up. Um, and we continue to see out of Julian McMahon this menace. I love the uh, the line out of uh, Carolina and, and Gert that uh, he he just stares at people.
0: <laughs> I I mean I guess this is our our weekly uh, praise of Julian McMahon moment here. He's a great get for the show as we've discussed before. Part of me is like, where has this guy been since? fantastic four two since um nip tuck ended i mean i know he's continued to work but it's like this guy needs in this golden platinum diamond age of television he needs something he needs to be part of that next big thing you go oh man he's the new boss on westworld or he's the new you know he he's gonna play uh I, i don't know woodrow wilson in the new fx series you know, uh, the vampire presidents or something like that. Like he just needs that big thing and he somehow has not gotten it.
1: I think he's hit a point in his career, Matt, where, you know, during the nip tuck days, he would have obviously been too hot for Marvel TV to handle. Maybe he'd show up in like a a Punisher a la Ben Barnes playing Billy Russo. Uh, but now, you know, he's, he's kind of in the other, sector of his career here where he can just ham it up enough to, you know, play this type of role, this mystery man, this guy with seemingly magic blood and, you know, at the same time, shaky ethics. So I think that it works. I think the biggest villain of this episode though, not Janet for serving her son Scotch, although certainly should not happen. Not Jonah for, being Jonah and demanding one of these adults, or maybe even one of their children go in the box to revive the one guy he actually needs. But how about Tina who called him, who apparently always calls him. Um, what do you think about her?
0: I think if we look at just that action of Tina, yes, she's probably the most villainous. Uh, otherwise we just spend a whole bunch of time, you know, having these characters yell at each other in the garage perhaps a bit more than was needed um so she certainly jump starts you know phase two uh jonah's here and and you know now the sacrifice must be made that said she's also the one that doesn't like what jonah is offering up and blows up you know one of the one of the boxes there i feel like that i mean a that prevents janet or someone else from making this uh the sacrifice so i kind of feel like tina gets gets villain points for the first half and hero points for her final actions. Um, almost, I feel like, personally, I kind of feel like it's 50-50. That's not to say, no, we we mustn't discuss her as a, as a villain, uh, but I kind of feel like she's okay at the end. Let's
1: talk some theories, Matt. Uh, Kincaid shows up in one of uh, the flashbacks, actually the first one coming back from the title card which is confusingly done and though they come back to it where Alex is explaining to Nico clearly what Amy was going through having a flashback that a character that's explaining it didn't experience is very confusing and took me completely out of the scene we've seen Kincaid a couple times he's done Tina's bidding Um, he was around Gert when uh, she was, uh, distracting the, uh, hallway guy during the gala. Um, what'd you make of all that?
0: Um, perhaps I had a little bit less, uh, concern than you did involving who's narrating this flashback and whatnot. Although I think that's an excellent point. What kind of took me out of that scene was, that she's in the front seat and he's in the back seat. Uh, I feel like if you want to have a clandestine meeting in the car, like if I'm walking through the parking lot on my way to get a, get a cup of Joe at timely or whatever it might be. And I just see two people, perhaps, you know, two different generations uh, sitting in the front seat of a car, having a serious looking conversation. I'm probably not going to look twice, even though it is kind of like, she looks like she's in high school and he looks like he's a (laughs) private security guy. I'm probably just going to figure whatever. Um, but to have him in the back, I wondered, like, did the director really want to be able to, to do like a two shot where they're closer together, but the car didn't allow it or something like that. But at the end of the day, it was just again, if I'm back in that parking lot, I'm like, what's this weirdo thing where the guy sitting in the back? And yeah, I guess I guess the combination for you and I is it was a scene that didn't fully work.
1: Well, hold on your hats, Matt, because remember when Leslie listens to uh, Carolina call um, Gert and talk about her father and also that Chase's father is hurt?
0: I I remember that. Oh, yeah.
1: Remember seconds later when uh, she's suddenly in the garage? Does Leslie have a teleporter?
0: I think that maybe this is an episode though not at the midpoint obviously of the season maybe it's at maybe it's at the darkest before dawn kind of midpoint if you will of production which is to say you're not quite yet in that penultimate episode oh man guys here now we're doing the it's the last first look at the script for episode 10 like you're kind of deep in the in the energy of the production, but not being tugged by the nostalgia of the final couple episodes. And I just felt like this was not an an episode, not as sharp as the other ones have been. And I kind of stand by my teasing that I said a couple of minutes ago that this really kind of felt like an episode that devolved into all the adults standing in the garage, yelling at Mm -hmm. each other kind of in extended for extended periods of time. And some of the discussions were good. And some, to me, were not good. I love me, Pete, some Dale and Stacy Yorks, this, this, this is and all their conversations. But kind of like, as they're trying to, as this group is legitimately trying to come to terms with the sacrifice of one of their own, whether it's one of their children or one of the members of Pride, and they're throwing in jokes here, um, and not even the, I vote for the other person, because to me, that was more nervous, like, I want to point out my value. If someone's going to die, it's not me. Right. But they were was, there was just, they were kind of throwing jokes willy nilly. And I don't fault the characters, but I fault the people behind the characters who are the, the writers and the production staff for that one.
1: We've been told about a drill uh, in either last week's episode or the week before that a drill had just been delivered to the site of the school. And now the dig matt is about to start and each time they've been one line
0: references what is going on at this school well i think that's the story behind the story and i really look forward a come the new year for the final two episodes uh to see see the narrative maybe be be sharper than it was in this episode uh i think you could make an argument that this episode was kind of the the breaking up of the fellowship so we kind of get the the um After effect of that in the next two episodes, as for what's going on there, I mean, if they're going to address the destruction of Los Angeles in this season, which personally I would find prudent, I don't like wholeheartedly seeding stuff for other seasons, um, particularly in a first season show, you know, if it's going to be a hit, how it's going to be received, how people are going to appreciate the tone, etc. But if they're going to address that, Pete, it has something to do, I would imagine, with this school, this ancient site, and whatever drilling might occur.
1: So Victor's heart has stopped. He was in a coma previously, and now we're just going to seal him in a box so his mitochondria don't continue to degrade. What's the status of his health?
0: The status of his health is we don't want to lose this guy, but we need to put him on story pause, and that's okay. And um, and uh, I think we're just, you know... It, he can be in suspended animation in his carbonite or whatever, you know, until three years from now when Rat is palace, or it can be in the next episode when he makes a triumphant return or whatever it might be.
1: How about Jonah's health? He swears, Matt, he doesn't need to be revived anymore. It was the last sacrifice. Now we only have one box. No,
0: I'm good. I'm good. Um, it certainly is convenient, particularly since it's fourteen, fifteen, seventeen, 17, whatever it is, all these years that they've, that they've arranged once a year. Um, I, to me, it's a little suspicious that said, if, if, if we are going to be asked the story conceit that, um, it's taken up until this point when he entered this portion of the story, which has become runaways, the TV show for him to reach fully formed status. And it's not impossible, but it's slightly sloppy because it's not like we've said earlier, oh man, this is finally 17 of, you know, it's it's session 17 of the 17 that you needed. It just kind of seems like it's a yearly thing and if they wanted us to think otherwise and have us think that before he says it.
1: How hard did the Minoru's or anyone who might have ever gone into Amy's room again not look for her bag and her phone?
0: Pete, listen, I want to say something now to all the young folk listening out there, because as we know, young people love their podcasts. Okay, parents are stupid. We've seen that in enough (laughs) movies, Whether you want to go back to whether it's Lost Boys, Your Home Alone, your more recent stuff that all us cool young kids watch. Um, they don't know that there's a spot under your bed where you can put your stuff. And <laughs> next they, to
1: the wall. Next which you could pull the bed back and find everything. That was, I mean, yeah, that was really goofy. And I guess I'm not surprised. And you need to get it in there for the story's ability to allow you to charge the phone in and then extract that last message, you know, which leads us to who, who is he? Is that the same mystery guy that Amy locks eyes with as the episode ends?
0: Pete, before we hear some feedback on uh, this episode and some prior episodes, just want to, want to take a moment to tip the hat here, though this maybe was not the strongest written episode, uh, directed by Millicent Shelton, who, uh, has a long career and, uh, no, no joke here, Pete. She started in music videos. Actually, started on Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing." Uh, some iconic music videos that uh, that that you and I would be familiar with. Let's talk about "Sex" by Salt and Pepper. Holy uh, moly, that is iconic. "Rump Shaker" by Rex and the. Oh my, Rex and Effects, yo. I uh, got some Mary J. Blige, some Aaliyah, um, and then uh, also she was the first African American woman to earn a prime time Emmy nomination. For outstanding directing in a comedy series that for an episode of 30 Rock. She's an alumna of Princeton University and uh, NYU. So, again, I think we took some exception with some of the writing here, but uh, this is not a name I was familiar with uh, from other Marvel stuff, unless I'm mistaken. But uh, certainly great to see uh, great to see her uh, adding her voice to uh, to Runaways here, absolutely.
1: And then, Matt, let's talk some uh. Twitter poll here, and I know we're gonna to get to some messages after that. But I ran a poll on Twitter earlier today. Uh, it's the first time we've I've watched the show when it bowed at midnight. Um, you know, happened to be up and said, "All right, uh, off here over break. I'm gonna I'm gonna fire this one up right away." And uh, watched, and then I'm like, "Oh, let me let me put a let me put a poll up there on uh, Twitter." So I wrote Merry Runaways Day. The Runaways Rundown Podcast by Fantastic Geek comes your way later today on fantasticgeek.com. In the meantime, which Runaway has the coolest power? Reply of choice, not in poll. And we had Alex Brains, Molly Braun, Nico Magic, and Carolina Sparkly Flight. And the winner, Matt, with 38% of the vote was Nico magic.
0: There's something about the Nico character in the comics and certainly the Nico, a com- uh, Nico character in the TV series where she's a little difficult to access. Like she's not, you know, kind of the, the center of the way Alex is. And you kind of don't can entirely sympathize with her worldview. But I think because that's such a very teen thing, and whether you're a teen or a teen at heart watching this show, it brings you back to that. And and I think that's why she is a fan favorite, because she just has that wall up in a way that we all have our wall up or had our wall up or, or will have our wall up again.
1: Let's get to some mail here, Matt.
0: Yes, we have an uh, email from our pal Fred. He says, uh, this regarding episode 106, uh, I was able to see it one day earlier than normal, he says. Um, and uh, he says, I give this episode seven flying and glowing ladies out of ten. So <laughs> Some high praise there. Uh, I felt it is as a little double in different ways. Uh, on the one hand, several of the kids are bonding with their parents, especially Nico and Tina. And Jason Victor. On the other hand, they planned the exposure of their parents. Also, Frank and the mystery guy being rivals at first, but then bonding at the end. Also, Carolina and Gert had their moments of adversity. Frank had his flashback, but didn't confront Leslie with that. I think he's talking about the the you-know-what scene. Uh, I wonder if he had this memory for the first time. Uh, I'm not sure why Carolina could fly away to chase, grab her by the bracelet or can she, uh, also glow in dangerous situations, which without taking the bracelet off love Stanley's cameo, of course, just fantastic. That he's still doing that greetings. All the best Fred.
1: Fred had sent another email as well. We're a little behind on getting to some of his stuff. So I'll read this other one. We had corresponded. Fred just joined Twitter. So helping us, uh, get these by taking the screenshots and sending them to us on Twitter. Uh, so he gives episode seven, um, seven healing hand gloves out of 10, <laughs> Matt. Uh, and some brief thoughts here is Victor signed dead. I don't uh, think so. I do think so. He says, Chase is warning him from the future. Why would he do that? If Victor survives this, Unless it has big consequences for his mother, Janet, because she is the one who shot him. So it could be not to protect his father, but his mother. We will probably know at the beginning of next episode. Janet is a good shot, by the way. Victor was shot right in the heart or just above another reason why I think he is dead. Jonah is clearly using Frank. Will this eventually lead to his death? I expect so. Jonah says uh, to Leslie that the church will go down. I'm afraid Frank will go with it. On the other hand, perhaps he will survive and be a nice dad for Carolina, if not a biological dad. (laughs) All is pointing in the direction that Carolina is Jonah's daughter. Um, or do we get a 180 degree turn there? Molly says, Who cares about a double helix? Well, as a geneticist, I do <laughs> have some problems with that. Is this just a trope, or is this a reference to something in the future? The Yorks are doing experiments with dinosaur DNA. I had some other things, but you already discussed those in your episode seven podcast. Greetings all the best for 2018 fred and should point out that uh fred is now a uh, patron on uh, patreon.com so a hearty hearty
0: thank you to uh fred particularly the level that he's contributing at indeed always appreciated and uh i like that fred brought up old lace the dinosaur there something that we did not talk about previously i just want to point out an observation from this episode which largely uh largely echoes what i've said before about it which is uh, about the dinosaur effect that is to say which though i think it's a tad obvious that they've gone the the you know mechanical puppet route versus um versus cg there's just a tactile thing to it and i feel like i feel like you can see the love put into the performance of the dinosaur even if it's not this perfectly rendered thing and and i feel like that almost brings me more into the story because it is hard and it's not something that like oh man we only have like five more days to work on this render and then it needs to be delivered
1: my problems with the dinosaur have nothing to do with its animation it has to do with its blocking you have a home that's on essentially lockdown because there is a very well-known and smart dude dying in the garage so i know let's bring a dinosaur and have it jump on a terracotta roof and spread tiles all over the place and make a racket and then let's bring it in the house that's my problem with the dinosaur in this episode
0: Again, I think something else that uh something else that is perhaps laid at the feet of the whether it's specifically the writer of this episode or the writing effort that went into this, um, yeah, I think we're kind of circling around the same thing, which is that it's not it's not a perfect script here, but Pete, we have two more to go to really uh dive on into runaways and see where it takes us.
1: I'm excited to see where they will take the end of this season, Matt. We don't have news on a renewal just yet, which given the timing, I mean, Daredevil was the quickest renewal we've gotten out of Marvel. It was within a week that that happened. And uh, Punisher was the only other show renewed as we were podcasting it. Um, All the others have, have come after the fact. So I'm interested to see if runaways is gonna get that I mean I know Hulu is not ABC or Netflix or you know other networks but uh, be interested to see about their their fate at this point and where things could be left at the end of the season you know I'm still not sure what happened in that last agent Carter scene
0: well I know that the this season uh finished filming in late october uh they started filming in February. I just infer from what I'm looking at that maybe there was a break between the um the pilot and going to series
1: that's a uh, long time to film for a ten episode it is oh, that's why huh. i think
0: there was a I, that's why I think there was a break um also I'm just reminded that uh, cloak and no yes yes cloak and dagger did the same thing they shot a you know, had a lengthy shoot for the pilot and then went away for like three months and then shot over this past summer. Uh, my point being, so they wrapped up in October and then premiered in was that was early November. It goes by so fast. Pete, when, when did season November 21st
1: out? on Hulu, Matt, I was at New York comic con when that was <laughs> brainwashed into my head by head of Marvel TV, Jeff Loeb.
0: So I guess my point is if, if they renewed tomorrow, um, which would give the right and gave the writers' room, I don't know, six weeks to get together before they're gonna to start to film, that still would be premiering sometime like next November. Um, hanging over all of this continues to be in my mind, what is the the state of this Disney uh, rival to Netflix if it's not gonna be Hulu and you're a Marvel Hulu or you're a Marvel Netflix show, what does that mean for you? I doubt they're gonna continue to feed the opposition. As it, as it can only now be viewed by Disney, I doubt they're going to feed them sweet, sweet content. So uh, this could either be at the crossroads of, oh man, all the new stuff is moving to Diz Hulu and Runaways is at the center of it. Or, oh, sorry, Runaways, you're cast off as Hulu gets, uh, you know, time to, to die on the vine. None of this, the fault of the show or the quality of the show. No,
1: it... I think the show's been great. I, I'd have to say this was probably the weakest episode overall. Um, when you consider the strength of the pilot pulling us into this and, you know, you had read some of the comic before going in and I knew, you know, just what, what was out and around about these characters to get pulled into that first episode. And it's gone very, very well. There's been some bumps along the road, but you know, th- this episode is clearly the, the sag point of this season. So I'm interested to see where they pick up with the, uh, the penultimate episode next week and and where we finish up hope just not for good,
0: um, in two weeks. Yeah. I think if, if the audience likes a show, you're allowed to have, uh, dud is a bit strong, but I'll just use the word dud for lack of anything else. You're allowed to have a dud here and there and people just accept it because you like these characters and you like the people behind the scenes, whether you know their names or not, you appreciate you know, the directing that Roxanne Dawson brought in episode two and you appreciate the script in episode four by Tamara Betcher Wilkinson and things like that. You kind of like this as a, as a, as a soup. And if, if the one, if the one day it's off, okay, I'll still be back next time and next time, but a lot in the air here. I mean, if the, let's imagine Pete, I don't think this is going to happen. Let's imagine the quality declines from here. Okay. Well, that's going to mean perhaps one thing for renewal and then all these exterior forces, what that might mean. So all the more emphasis, even though these episodes are all, you know, done filmed. And I'm sure they're all done done with the edit and all of that now. But all the more reason to make every episode the best because you really don't know what the future holds. Particularly if Los Angeles is going to explode.
1: <laughs> right. And, and future messages are going to be sent. And, you know,
0: all that other good stuff. I'm older it's... because I have a beard, dad. <laughs> and glasses. <laughs> My vision is failing. Well, Pete, let's see that... Uh, We've gone from so many shows podcasting so many times a week to Punisher is done with. We don't get another uh, Runaways until next Tuesday, January 2nd. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't return until later that week. Does this mean 2018 we're not going to be doing too much?
1: (laughs) And and I think we've only done like 117 podcasts this year of of various episodes spread across uh, how many shows? uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's just what we do, man. It's just what we do.
0: Yeah. We got obviously runaways continuing, uh, this week in the pop culture podcast and the Punisher podcast feed. We'll wrap up that season. Um, we have, uh, agents of shield with, with next to no break, just the one Friday off. Uh, we have star Trek discovery coming back. Is that January 7th?
1: Yep, Sunday, January 7th. So back at that for the final six episodes. And, uh, yeah, before we know it, I'm sure we'll get a uh, Cloak and Dagger date. We have Jessica Jones coming in March. Uh, I would imagine we'll get a Luke Cage date for some time this summer. And uh, I, I think we'll end the year with uh, Daredevil. I, I had tweeted it out before. I think we were looking. Fantastic Geek already has like 72-episode podcast <laughs> things punched on our dance card for 2018. But again, man, it's, it's what we do.
0: (laughs) Maybe we'll even go see a star Wars movie. If you know, star Wars can exist in 2018.
1: Will it, will it be allowed to continue Matt? Or will, (laughs) will people just make petitions
0: and and make it go away? Pete, I'm going to write a fan fiction in which we get to podcast in 2018 runaway season two jessica jones as you said luke cage star trek discovery agents of shield here i'm going to do an agents of shield uh fanfic spinoff in which it's uh late may and you and i are podcasting about the triumphant season six renewal for agents of shield and i hope that all my fanfic is going to come true
1: well there's always that hope
0: Pete, let's talk about how people can be in touch with us. Let's start with how people can be in touch with you on, I don't know, the Twitter.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9737
0: followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. You can leave a comment on fantasticgeek.com. You can email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram under Fantastic Geek. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H all one word. Like it today. Well, Pete, we will be back talking runaways next week, talking all sorts of goodies between now and then and into the future. With that, Pete, I will say audio to all our listeners and give you the final word. Would not have wanted to miss this. To get me. I'd rather be in jail than to have my father hit me. My parents walked through and I got my grandma said, Uh, Mom, dad, How was your trip? They didn't speak. I said, I want to plead my case. But my father just shoved me in the car by my face. That was a hard ride home. I don't know how I survived it. They took turns. One would beat me while the other one was driving. I can't believe it. I just made a mistake. Well, parents are the same no matter.